That was awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, church. I hope you guys have had a great week. And here we are together getting to worship as the body of Christ. What an honor and what a privilege it is to be here together uh, to open the Word of God, to sing the praises of God, and to hear from Him today. So if you have a Bible with you, open up uh, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, you can read along. Uh, We'll have the Scripture on the screen uh, for you today as well. Uh, But today we are continuing um, our series in week 3 now of through the book of Colossians called Is Christ Enough? And so that's really the question that uh, Colossians seeks to answer as Paul was writing this letter to the ancient, uh, Christ, uh, the ancient city of Colossae and the Christians living there. Uh, he is really challenging them and asking them, is, is Christ really enough for you? Is there some other teaching? Is there some other gospel? Is there some other philosophy? Is there some other way of life that you think you might need No, is Christ enough? And what we see as we walk through these passages and read this letter from Paul is the answer is emphatically yes. He is enough. So last week we looked at how Christ was the cosmic Lord of the universe, right? He is the exclusive ruler of the cosmos. No one is before him. No one is above him. Christ is enough because he rules the universe. And so we can trust him with our lives in every moment. And so we saw that last week in verses 15 through 23, and we're going to pick up in verse 24 today. But before we dive in uh, to this today, let me pray for us, and uh, we will we'll get started. Jesus, thank you again for just allowing us to uh, be here today as your people, as the body of Christ I pray that as we look to your word and we look at what Paul wrote to this church 2,000 years ago, that it would be extremely relevant to our lives today because, Jesus, you are always, always relevant. Your truth is eternal truth. And so, Lord, I pray that the eternal truth of your word would speak into our hearts and, Holy Spirit, that you would change who we are. Change how we think about you, about this world, about ourselves, and about the need for the gospel to reach everyone on this earth. Help us, Jesus, as we think through these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, my five-year-old son, Barrett, is very festive. And what I mean is he loves holidays. I mean, every holiday that rolls around, it doesn't matter we have to make it a big deal because Barrett makes it a big deal, and he will be heartbroken if we don't. So guess what is this week? Anybody know? St. Patrick's Day, that's right. Guess what hat my son wore into a restaurant recently? A leprechaun hat, okay? Do I approve of this? I don't know, okay? I'm just telling you that my son, (laughs) my mother-in-law bought him a leprechaun hat, okay? And it's just been all downhill from there, all right? So the poor kid, the kid is just, he wore, he got one of his uh, sister's old green bows and put it as a bow tie. He's got green beads. He's wearing a leprechaun hat. He's wearing all kind of green. I mean, he is just excited. He doesn't even know what it's about. He has no clue, really, what St. Patrick's Day is about. But that boy is pumped, okay? Let me tell you, he is ready for whatever we're going to do on St. Patrick's Day, which is probably nothing. All right, so... (laughs) 
But here's the thing, all right? Here's the thing. Boy, here in America, don't we love to just ruin things that, you know, other people started, right? Well, St. Patrick's Day is kind of one of those things. I don't really think uh, that it was always about the green and the leprechauns and all this good lucky charm stuff. Um, But here's what I do know, okay? So you may not be familiar with the origins of Patrick, who the Catholic Church says is a saint, right? So we'll just call him Patrick, right? So uh, you don't, we, we may not know the origins of, of who Patrick is. Maybe you've never heard the story, but hey, it's actually quite fascinating. And, and I want to share just a little bit of that with you. So, so Patrick was uh, born in the fourth century AD in Britain, all right? And it is said that when he was a teenager, uh, Irish pirates captured him and actually made him a slave in Ireland. So uh, may come as a surprise to you, Patrick himself was not Irish. He's British, all right? Uh, but he was captured, he was taken to Ireland, and it's said that during this time, while he was a slave, uh, he actually gave his life to Christ. So he trusted uh, Jesus to be his Savior. So he was raised in a, in a Christian-believing home, but never truly turned to Christ himself until he was in that moment of slavery in Ireland. And so about six years later, uh, he escaped from slavery and returned home to Britain, all right? And so as time goes on, uh, Patrick, Patrick believed that he should go back to Ireland and share the gospel with those very people who enslaved him. Now, why would he do that? (laughs) Think about that. Would you do that? He was, I think, about 16 years old when he was kidnapped and captured. You were ripped away from your family, taken to a place you have no familiarity with. You're, You're not used to this place. You're enslaved for six years. Why on earth? Would you go back to that place and risk and risk your life to share the good news of Jesus with these evil and wicked people who mistreated you so badly? That's exactly what Patrick did. He shared the gospel throughout Ireland for the rest of his life until he died. And March 17th is supposedly the actual day of his death. So think about, think about that. I mean, think about what he was willing to do. Would any of us do that? I don't think so. I mean, the trauma, right? The trauma that he went through and then decides to put himself back in that trauma, in that dark place. But he was determined. He was determined because he had what he knew was the light, the light of the gospel that that dark and vile place needed. You see, Patrick believed in the mission. He believed in the mission because he believed in the person. He believed in Jesus himself. And he believed that the mission to tell others about the hope of eternal life was worth it, even if it put his life at risk. You see, if we don't believe in the mission and purpose of something, we will either lose interest or get discouraged and eventually give up. It doesn't matter what it is, right? 
It could be a project at work. It could be something you're doing with your family. It could be literally anything in life. If you don't really believe in the mission, you'll give up. You'll quit. This next part of the letter today that we're reading from Paul to the church in Colossae, it helps us better understand who Paul is and the mission that he was willing to risk his life for. Remember, Paul was also a missionary, like Patrick, but he had not been to Colossae, so he had not actually met these new Christians yet in person. So in this section of his letter, Paul is kind of, he's kind of introducing himself by explaining who he is and what he does. He wants these people he's never met that he, he loves because he's their fellow Christ followers, right? But he wants them to kind of to know, here's what I'm doing, and here's how I'm sharing the gospel. And so in this, we see that there was a mission that Paul believed in with his whole heart And he was willing to do anything and risk anything to get it to the people who needed it. He wanted to share it with the whole world. So look at verse 24 of Colossians 1. I want us to read the whole text today first, and then we'll break it down later. So we're going to start chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So there's some things here that we need to look at a little closer today, but but right on the outset, Right on the outset, we see that Paul was passionate and determined to fulfill the calling God had given him to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, a missionary. Paul's job was to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, and that word, Gentiles, means the non-Jewish world. 
All right, so the non-Jewish world, in other words, outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, outside of Palestine. Paul wanted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, the end of the known world at the time. Paul used to be one of the vilest, ruthless persecutors of Christians, though. He himself was one who would kidnap someone who believed in Christ or torture them or have them killed. Paul himself was against Christianity adamantly and persecuted the church. But then one day he was saved by Jesus in a very dramatic way on the road to Damascus. And he was given a mission by Christ himself. Jesus appointed Paul to be the missionary to the non-Jewish world. To be the trailblazer who would go out and start sharing the gospel with a pagan world who had never heard of Jesus Christ. A mission to make disciples of Christ. You see, whether you realize it or not, if you follow Jesus, all right, if you claim, yeah, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I love him, I'm not perfect, but I, I seek the Lord. I love the Lord. He's the one I've given my life to. I've trusted him. I've repented of my sin. If you are a follower of Jesus, then guess what? You have also been given this mission. Now you may say, whoa, I don't remember signing up for that. All right. I'm cool with coming to church and I'm cool with getting involved with some of your ministries, but I don't recall ever saying that I was going to be a missionary. What are you talking about, pastor? Right? Well, here's the thing. Everybody who claims to follow Jesus, whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, there is an inherent, inherent mission in the calling to follow Christ. So nobody gets to sit on the sidelines. We're all on the field together. We're all playing this game, so to speak, of life. So God's, God's mission, right? It's, what is the mission? It's to join him. It's to join him and his redemptive mission that is already in progress. So what is that? It's to rescue people. It's to rescue people from their sin and give them eternal life through Jesus Christ. God's redemptive mission for this world is to form a new humanity. A new humanity of Christ's followers who will one day inhabit a redeemed physical world where everything God made works originally as it was designed and intended. So the church are the people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, who Jesus is redeeming for that world to come. That's what the church is. That's who we are. But this is a beautiful message of what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. That message is not for ourselves. That message is not one for us to hoard among ourselves and keep it to ourselves. It is a message to go and share and go and make disciples and to tell others about this beautiful Savior who has a beautiful world in our future. So by examining... By examining how Paul devoted his life to that mission, we can see how God is calling each of us to join him in this same mission 2,000 years later. His mission to save people from the judgment of God 
so they can experience the love of God through Christ forever. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it looks like to join God's mission by looking at Paul's example to how we live today. Well, the first thing we see about this mission are the responsibilities. Right, the responsibilities, and the first responsibility is to share the gospel, to actually talk to other people about Jesus Christ and what his life, death, and resurrection really means for our eternal lives. Look at verse 25 again. Paul kind of gives somewhat of a job description here about his job, and he says, what, what's his primary objective? His primary objective is to make the word of God fully known. To make God's word fully known to all people. So as a missionary, Paul's first objective is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. To preach the fullness of Christ with those who have yet to believe. He wants to make the word of God fully known to everyone, everywhere he can. But then he elaborates on what that message is. What is this message, this gospel, this good news? Well, notice in verse 26, what does he call it? He calls it a mystery. A mystery. So why is Paul describing the word of God as a mystery? What, what does he mean? Well, the ESV study Bible says a very puts this simply so we can understand it. It says, the mystery does not refer to something mysterious or to a secret ritual of some kind. Rather, Paul is speaking of God's unfolding plan for the world, his plan of redemption through the Messiah. So, in other words, the, you see, the Jewish people in the ancient world before Christ came to earth, they believed that there would be a Messiah, a deliverer, a savior of sorts, right? Who would come, and but they didn't know who it would be, uh, they didn't know when it would be, but they, they read the Old Testament, they read the prophecies, and they believed that there would be a Messiah. But then Jesus entered the world, and those who believed in Jesus, right, which were pretty few while he was actually on the earth, they knew he was the true Messiah. He was the anointed one of God, the Christ, the Savior, God in the flesh. So the gospel tells us that Jesus, he is the good news that lived, died, and was raised from the dead as our substitute to deliver us from our sins and put us into a peaceful relationship with God forever. That's the gospel. In other words, what Paul's saying is, it's not a mystery anymore. The Messiah has come. The Savior that the Old Testament was pointing to all those years, he's here. It's not a mystery anymore. It's fully known. And so Paul has made his objective to make this word of God fully known to all people. It is not a mystery any longer. We can know salvation. We can know how to have a peaceful relationship with God forever and live with him forever by looking to Christ we now know what God's redemptive plan is to save this world. It's Christ himself. So look what he says in verse 27. He says, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's very clear. The mystery is Christ. But notice what he says. How is, 
How is Christ redeeming a sinful, broken world? How is he doing this? How is he actually saving people? He is taking up residence in his followers. He gave his life for us. The death we should have died, he died in our place to pay the penalty of our own sin that we owed to God. Jesus paid it by dying for it in our place. And then he rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin and death over us forever. So we can walk with him. We can get to know him. We can love him. We can live forever with him one day. Jesus did this, but not only did he do those things in the past, what is he doing in the present? In the present tense, he is living in us, right? He says, which is Christ in you. It's not a mystery anymore. This is full knowledge of salvation in Christ Jesus. He is the hope of glory, as Paul says here. And what's even more amazing is that for those of us who trust Christ truly to be our Savior, not anything else in this world, not your bank account, not your friends, not your social status, right? If we truly trust Christ to save us and we stop trying to save ourselves with what other moral goodness we can muster up, but we repent of that, that failure to save ourselves and our sin, we turn to Christ. And in that moment, when you truly turn to Christ, he takes residence in you. That's, a, that's remarkable. I mean, think about last week, what we saw, right? In verses 15 through 23, the exclusive Lord of the cosmos who created all things resides in his people. He resides in you. So Paul says in verse 28, he says, him we proclaim. Why would we proclaim anything else? The cosmic Lord lives in us. What better message is there for the world to hear? That the God of all creation knows you by name. That he knitted you in your mother's womb. That he loves you personally. So Paul says, him we proclaim. There's a lot of other things we can proclaim, right? There's a lot of messages that we can speak to the world. There's a lot of messages coming at us from the world. But at the end of the day, nothing tops the fact that we are known by the creator of the universe. It's him we proclaim, Paul says. He's the only hope of future glory for anybody, for everybody. So Paul is a missionary to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world outside of the Roman province of Palestine. This is the only message, he says, of salvation for everyone in the world to hear, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background or your status, whoever you are, wherever you are, him we proclaim. The mystery is no longer a mystery. It's Christ. That's the mission. That's the message. Paul was determined to share this with a lost and dying world. So his first responsibility as a missionary is to share this message of hope. But his second responsibility was not just to share the message and then leave people alone to figure out the rest. You know what his second responsibility was? It was to help people grow in the gospel. 
So it's one thing to hear the message and to respond in genuine faith and be saved. But it is another thing to continue to grow in maturity in your walk with the Lord. And this is where a lot of us struggle. Look what he says in verse 28, though. Paul saw it as part of his job to actually help people mature. Look what he says. He says, we want to present everyone. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. You see, Paul doesn't want, he he doesn't want just converts to Christianity, right? He's not some kind of evangelist out there just like begging people to, you know, come down the aisle and make a decision and fill out this card. All right, I'll never see you again. Thanks. That's not what he's doing. No, he's in it for the long haul. He wants disciples who make disciples. He wants people to follow Jesus, to see them grow in their faith, to become mature in their walk with the Lord. You see, the gospel is not only the power to save us, it is the power that continues to sanctify us. And that word sanctify simply means to grow. We grow in our faith over time. One of my favorite pastors, J.D. Greer, he says, the gospel, it's not just the diving board, it's the whole swimming pool. You never graduate from the gospel. You never get too intellectually high enough in your Christian status and your regular church attendance to think, you know, we hear about the gospel every week. Let's talk about something deeper. That is the deep riches of the Lord. If you ever grow tired or bored with hearing the gospel message of Jesus, then you don't fully understand it. You don't understand how beautiful it is, how sinful you were, how great God's grace was and is, and how it changes everything, every single thing about your life. It changes everything about you. It is the power to change, not just save a one-time thing. Your salvation is not the finish line, it's the starting line. When you put your faith in Christ, you have the rest of your life, however many years, however many seconds, however many heartbeats the Lord gives you on this earth, you have the opportunity to dig, to dig deep into the riches of God's word, to fellowship and grow more intimately connected to him through prayer, through fellowship with other believers. Look again at what Jesus himself said in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. He says, He says, so we share the gospel, we baptize people, all nations, what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Even Jesus himself, when he incorporated all of us into this mission, said, hey, don't just leave people hanging. Have you ever started a new job and your employer, like you sign all the paperwork, you're hired, and then they do no training, like zero training, all right? What, what kind of job would that be? What a terrible employer, right? To just hire you, but then not actually tell you how to do the job, right? They try, I was a waiter at one point, and I was, I just want to confess, I was the worst waiter ever, okay? Because I'm clumsy, I'm slow, and I can't multitask. And that's like exactly what you can't do to be a good waiter. So I think people gave sympathy tips. It's like, this poor kid, like, He's not going to make it in life, you know? (laughs) So maybe that worked. I don't know. But here's the thing. They tried to train me and it still didn't work. But if then, here's the deal. Like, if you don't get any training, you're going to fail. You're going to completely fail at the job. Paul knew the importance of this. Christians can't leave other Christians hanging. And so what I mean is, if a friend or a family member or a coworker that you have led to the Lord 
Or maybe they're a new Christian, they've just come to faith in Christ. Right? That's awesome. But my goodness, do not leave them hanging. Do not stop walking beside them. Continue to be their friend or get to know them better if you're not a great friend. Man, when we see someone in this baptistry up here get baptized, there should be people jumping at the bit to get to know these people and say, hey, do you have a good study Bible? Uh, do you have, are you in a community group? Is there any way I can help you? Not overwhelming people, right? You know, we don't want to make it awkward or put any pressure on anyone, but my goodness, new Christians, we need help. We all need help. The way Paul puts it here, the way Jesus puts it, is that you never arrive. You're never going to arrive at this level of maturity where, hey, I don't need anybody's help anymore. I'm a, such a mature Christian, right? The ironic thing about that is only a prideful person would even say that, so therefore you're not a mature Christian, right? See, we all need to grow, and we need to grow together. Like Paul. Like Paul, we have all been given this this God-given task. We are called to make disciples, to share the good news with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our family, with our old friends, to get to know them, to build connections and relationships with them so that we begin to have conversations about meaningful things. And in those meaningful things, when the time is right, we share the hope of the risen Savior with them. And we pray that the Holy Spirit draws them to true faith in Christ. But we don't stop there. We continue to help them. We help them get involved in church. We sit beside them in church. We say, hey, I wanna, I wanna help you get to know Jesus and grow in your faith. Are you doing both of those things? Are you sharing the gospel with those that God has put in your sphere of influence? Are you trying to get to know people so that you can share the gospel with them? Are you helping new Christians develop their faith? Are we making disciples? That's the job responsibilities that Paul had. But the second thing we see in this text is the difficulty. Not just the responsibilities of the job, and we spent most of our time there this morning, so these next few will be quicker, but think about the difficulty of this task. Listen, Paul, as someone joining the mission of God, experienced overwhelming adversity and opposition. Nobody said this was going to be easy. It is extremely difficult. Paul, not to mention, went through extreme persecution. But he also faced just that daily grind of seeking to save the lost around him. It's a daily grind. Every day. Emotions up, emotions down. Fatigue, spiritual fatigue that we all experience from time to time. You don't even feel maybe like you're walking closely with the Lord, so you say, use that as an excuse and say, well, how can I possibly lead someone else to the Lord? I feel like a hypocrite, so maybe I can't lead someone else to the Lord. Listen, we're all hypocrites to a certain degree. But maybe there is some sin that you need to confess Maybe there's something that is hindering you from being a faithful witness to the Lord and you need to confess that to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. Help me. Help me to truly get past this. Forgive me and renew my heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and help me to be a faithful witness to this person that you've put in my life. It's difficult, 
Verse 29, look what Paul says. He says, for this I toil. That's a word we don't use a lot, but it's just hard work. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, not mine. See, at the end of the day, it's, it's not my energy. It's not my ability. It's Christ's power in us that gives us the ability to truly persevere and get to know people who don't know the Lord and share the gospel with them and then help people grow in their faith. You don't have the spiritual energy to do that. You don't have the physical energy to maintain that. But Christ does. Do you believe that he's with you in that? Do you believe that he's there for you in that? For Paul, sharing the gospel and helping people grow in the gospel was not a glamorous job. It was very hard work, and he was persecuted for it, extremely persecuted for it. I'm talking stoned, beaten, imprisoned. John chapter 15, Jesus himself said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as it as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And we, maybe we should start reading this in our new members class. We don't read that verse. You know what I mean? That's kind of the one where it's like, hey, uh, I'm excited to be a Christian, but what? You're saying that the world's going to hate me? You're saying that I'm going to be persecuted? I'm not so excited now. But do you understand that Paul, when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, he's not taking joy in the actual suffering. He's taking joy in the greater context, knowing that God is using him in every single circumstance, even the persecution, even the toil, even the struggling, God is still using him. He's using all of those things, those difficult things and this difficult task to get the gospel to the people who need it. Is he doing that in your life? Does he want to do that in your life? Yes. Are you making yourself available or are we complaining about the difficulty? Listen, it's gonna be difficult to get to know the people in your life who don't know the Lord, okay? It is. But I think some of us aren't even trying. Some of us get home from work, go in the garage, open the garage door, go in the garage, close the garage door, and never say a word to any of our neighbors. Go to your apartment complex, walk up the stairs, go in the door, close the door, never see anybody, never walk around outside to try to meet people. I mean, how are we going to share the gospel with other humans if we never even interact with other humans. So there's a level of difficulty, yes, but I think here in America, in our modern age, we just isolate ourselves and don't even try. We don't even try. But when we do try, I don't want to paint some rosy picture, it's going to be difficult. There will be opposition. You may experience ridicule in some form from your coworkers. You're going to be emotionally drained especially if it's a family member that doesn't know the Lord because you're going to see them a lot. They know probably the worst side of you. It's hard to share the gospel with a family member that doesn't know Christ. There's going to be disappointment when people don't want to hear what you have to say. 
There's going to be setbacks when someone that you do know, maybe you help lead them to Christ in some way, they became a new believer and then they slipped back into some kind of lifestyle that you were hoping they would avoid. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be sometimes just complete rejection. It is extremely difficult, this mission God's given us, but it's extremely worth it. And the good news is, it's not ultimately up to you. You're the vessel, you're the messenger, but it's not your power. That's the third thing we see here. From start to finish, this mission is from God, for God's glory, and accomplished by His power. Paul says in verse 25, look what he says. He says, this stewardship, right? The stewardship from God that was given to me. This mission, in other words, is God's. It's God's mission. And we're just the stewards of it. And I love that terminology, steward. Have you ever considered yourself a steward of what God has given you? He's given you salvation. Now, how are you stewarding that? How are you managing the salvation he gave you in terms of sharing it with others, right? He's given you this mission. He really has. He's called you into this mission, this redemptive story that he's creating, and he's unfolding. And you're playing your part of it, and this whatever part of Jacksonville that you live, that's, and you work and you play, right? That's it. That's your part. How are you stewarding that responsibility? But look what he says. Verse 29 he says it's his energy. His energy. That'd be a great name for a Christian energy drink, wouldn't it? I just said, I just thought of that. It just popped into my head. I'm gonna, re, I'm gonna regret this later. Anyways, his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's like the kind of thing you would have seen in Lifeway back in the day. Anyways, things that bother me. Uh, all right, his energy, right? His energy that he powerfully works within me. So it's not up to you. It's your job. But at the end of the day, and listen closely, seriously, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that actually changes people's hearts. You cannot change anyone. It's the Holy Spirit of God that actually changes someone's heart and turns them to Him. But it's the message. We are the delivery people, right? We are the ones who deliver the message so the Holy Spirit has that opportunity, that message to work in their heart. But it's God's power. So as we share, as we get to know people who don't know the Lord, we must rely on God's power in the message, His Spirit. Lastly, number four, we see the joyful commitment. We see the joyful commitment of Paul's attitude. Look at his tone. Paul is writing from imprisonment in Rome. Yet look how joyful and committed he was to this mission. Look at his determination and how much he genuinely cares about these people. Colossians 2.1 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. That was a, a city I think about nine miles away. It was a close, another city. Paul says, I care about both of you. I care about both of you Christians. And for all who have not seen me face to face, he has this deep desire. 
He has a deep, genuine desire to see people's lives changed by the gospel of Christ. Verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants, he wants these new Christians to reach, to reach out and grab a hold of all the riches that Christ has for them in their pursuit of Christ. To reach a point of maturity where you really do see Jesus for who He is and you savor. You savor who He is. How do we do that? How do we savor Christ in our own lives? To the point where it compels us to go out and share this good news. It's like when you go to one of your favorite restaurants, you know, and if you're a weirdo like me, you close your eyes when you bite into that steak, you know, and everybody's like, like, dude, you're enjoying it too much here, okay? You savor, right? You savor that food, and then what do you do? You go tell everybody about it. Hey, y'all need to go to this restaurant. It's great. The gospel, in a similar way, it's something that if you don't chew on that truth, if you don't keep coming back to it every day, if you don't keep reminding yourself and preaching the gospel to yourself every day, if you don't learn how to see and savor who Christ is in your own personal heart, what he's doing, what he's doing in your circumstances, how he's orchestrating things to change your life, to change the lives of those around you, if you don't think and meditate and see and savor these things, you'll never want to share it with anybody else. Paul knows, he knows how good this is Look at verse three. He says, the treasures in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not something of this world. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not something that will backfire or set you back. It's not something that won't pan out the way you thought it would. It's the key. Seeing and savoring Christ, this joyful commitment to his gospel and his mission is the key to understanding reality itself. Paul knows that to understand the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, you must know the source of wisdom and knowledge, our creator God, Jesus Christ. The more you understand about Christ and how his gospel affects everything, the more those treasures will just pop out off the pages of scripture into your heart, into your mind. No wonder Paul believed. He believed in the mission. He was joyfully committed to it, and he had the courage to continue. Verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, he knows that if Christians are filled with the knowledge and love of Christ, then they will have the courage and wisdom to avoid any other false worldly message or philosophy out there that is leading us away from Christ. Paul says, no. If you see and savor Christ every day, then whatever nonsense you hear from the world, it'll just bounce, it'll reflect off of you because you know the truth. And so you know a counterfeit message when you hear it. Verse five, he says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He's joyfully committed to the mission because he's joyfully committed to Christ and his people. He genuinely cares about the well-being of these people he's writing to. 
who were once lost, but now have been found. But they need that ongoing help to grow in their faith. Paul loves sharing the gospel, and he loves helping others who know Christ but need to grow in their faith. My question for you is simple. As we close out today, are you joyfully committed to this mission? Like, are you really joyfully committed? I'm not asking, are you begrudgingly coming to church? Are you committed because you feel like you have to be to keep a certain Christian appearance about yourself? I'm asking, are you joyfully, are you joyfully heartfelt committed to the mission, the redemptive story of God that he is unfolding throughout the generations? And here you are in your life right now in the year 2023, living at your address. Do you think it's a mistake? Whatever your current circumstance is, whether you love it or you hate it or somewhere in between, God has you where you are to play a part in the story that he's unfolding, the mission of God. Are you joyfully committed to that? Are you seeing and savoring the goodness of Christ every day so that you're compelled to share it with others? Are you seeking to get to know your neighbors? Are you trying to even have conversations with people in hopes that one day at the right moment when there's a level of trust that you can share the good news of Christ and they understand and they believe? Are you helping new Christians grow in their faith? What are you doing to reach out and help others know the Lord on a deeper level? Are you involved in a community group so that you have space and time designated to do that? Are we joyfully committed? Like Patrick, like Paul, who is willing to risk everything, all the comforts, all the difficulty, was willing to go into it no matter what to save those who need Christ the most, those who have never heard, those who have heard some distorted message, they were willing to give it up, to give it all, to spread and conquer this mission that Christ gave them. Are we willing to do the same? Is Christ enough? Is he enough? Yes. He empowers us to pursue his mission.